Well, great to have you with us today. It's great to uh, be back and able to open the Word of God with you. Uh, had a great time last week um, with Asa and Suze and, and their presentation, and it's uh, good to be back the first of the year. It's the 15th already, though, right? Halfway through January. That's crazy. You know what that means? Only 11 and a half months till Christmas. <laughs> yeah, somebody else. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, it's good to have you here, and uh, we're glad uh, for this new year. Um, so, do you know why Google exists? Right? So, so it's like some, so we can quote, you know, whatever information we don't know that we Googled, right? Well, here's what... Uh, the internet says, or here's what Google says, here's why Google exists. They say, our mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Wow, that's a job, right? All right, do you know why Tesla exists? Do you know what Tesla is? Maybe I should say that. Tesla's an electric car, yep. all right? And uh, so Tesla's corporate mission is to accelerate, and they're fast, the world's transition to sustainable energy. Now, that's a car company. That's their mission. How about McDonald's? Now, ah, we're getting right down to where everybody is, right? All right, McDonald's. Our mission is to make delicious, feel-good moments easy for everyone. Notice they don't say delicious food. Uh, feel-good feel moments, right? All right, one more, one more, Starbucks. We had to put that up. Scott said, you have to put, no, he didn't really, but uh, Starbucks, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time, and to think coffee does all that. Wow, really? Well, anyway, that's, that's their mission. So how about Heritage Baptist Church? Why do we exist? Heritage Baptist Church, we exist to make more people more like Jesus. And uh, we're going to open that up over the course of the next few weeks to, to see what that means. Uh, but in answering these questions, the purpose of, of these corporations of our church, uh, I read their mission statements. And uh, you have heard about mission statements, I would assume most of you, maybe some of you are today. It's one of those things you hear a lot about, and everybody has a different idea about what mission statements mean or what they are. Came across this definition from a web design company called Wix. They say, a mission statement is a brief description of an organization's purpose and how it serves audiences through the types of products or services it provides them with. Now, I'm not concerned to go back and examine the mission statements that I read for you and to see if they fit that particular definition, because as I said, there are other definitions out there. But as we think about that, so what is the purpose or the mission of the church? Why does the church exist? And yes, I'm talking about Herod's Baptist, but I'm talking about the church. Churches all across the world said, why do we do church? Why does the church exist? Now, maybe over the years or time, you've thought or you've heard, 
Well, Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I thought that's what the purpose of the church was, to allow people to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, could be, but others may say, well, some churches I've seen as their mission statement, well, love God and love people. And that's taken from Matthew 22, uh, when Jesus was asked, what's the first and greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So it comes down to a simple statement, love God, love people. And that sums it up. Well, it may also just simply be, as you read through the New Testament, live a faithful Christian life and do all that Jesus taught. That sounds good, right? But that's way too big and way nonspecific. If we're going to try to follow through on that, how in the world would you know if you are doing it or not? Uh, it used to be that mission meant missions. Like what Asa and Suze talked about last week, missions. That's what it used to mean. People used to think when they heard mission, they meant missions. They thought of the Great Commission. And there was a day, I remember when I first started pastoring back in 1976, that that. Uh, we would have mission conferences. Uh, we've had them since I've been here. Not pastoring, but uh, we came here in 1993, and back when Pastor Beckett was here and, and Pastor Culver, we would have missions conferences, like a Wednesday through a Sunday kind of a gathering. We'd have some of the missionaries that we supported come in and speak and give us updates and challenge our hearts about missions, about the Great Commission and we might even sing a famous missionary song, So Send I You, right? Well, as we talk, that's typically what people thought about when they heard mission. Um, it meant going to Africa or Asia or Peru, right? That's what it was all about. But that's really not all of what mission is. In fact, it's quite a bit different than that. And that's when we need to jump into Matthew chapter 28. And a lot of missions conferences over the years would use the theme of Matthew chapter 28. And that's where they would go and, and deal with that. But I want to say to you this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the mission of the church. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 16 through 20, those last five verses there. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, would like a hard copy to hold underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible there. In that Bible, page 698, uh, it's there. Um, so there you have it, Matthew chapter 28. So as we begin the new year, I want to remind you, it may be that this will be first time that you've really heard it like this, or, or you've heard it before but aren't real familiar. So maybe it is a reminding, maybe it's a learning experience, a brand new learning experience, but I want you to know whether it just be reminded of it. So much of scripture we see all throughout the Bible. Uh, the Lord tells us, remind one another. The Psalms are full of remembrances. That's why we serve communion. We do it typically the first Sunday of the month to remind us of what Jesus did on the cross for us. But as we talk about this, I want you to know, I want you to understand what the Bible says about the why 
of the church. Why does the church exist? Why are you here this morning? Well, it's Sunday. And so I, that, that's just what I do. Or I think if I stayed home, I, maybe I'd feel guilty. I, uh, that's, that's what we do. We gather on Sunday. But why the church? Why does it exist? And that means heritage too. What is the purpose of the church? And we're going to look at what the Bible says because it doesn't matter what anybody else says. If we need to know why the church exists, what's the purpose of the church, we better be going to the Bible, right? Because that's going to give us the answer we need. And uh, so as we look at that this morning, we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about the mission of the church and the strategy necessary to accomplish that mission. So over the next few weeks, that's why we talk about mission and strategy. That's what we're going to do. And uh, as we look at that, and we're calling that series, um, What's a Church to Do? As we study together, what's a church to do? So Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, if you have your Bibles or your uh, tablets or phones, follow along with me. And I want to start at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 28. Um, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were afraid of him that uh, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen." Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, his disciples, go tell his disciples uh, that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. The difference there, he's been talking about his disciples. Now he says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now, chapter 28 begins with the story of the resurrection. The fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. Listen, folks. The resurrection is critical to everything we believe about Jesus. Now, I know it's not Easter. And we just celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. And as we said any number of times, Jesus was born so that ultimately he could go to the cross and die. But if he only died and stayed in the grave, we wouldn't be here today. Right? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, if there had been no resurrection, everything he said and did wouldn't, would have been empty. Wouldn't have mattered. Nobody, nobody would have looked back on what all that Jesus taught for those three years of public ministry and, and said, wow, that was insightful. They would have said, well, he was a good guy. And yeah, some of that stuff made sense, but 
He said he'd come back and he didn't. So understand the resurrection is that significant. And I think too often we just let that kind of go right over our heads. Yes, the resurrection. We believe in the resurrected Jesus. Yes, God raised Jesus from the dead. But people, we've got to get into our hearts and minds that that is critical to everything that we believe. Everything that Jesus said. Listen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the word of God, what, what would be the point? Amen. There would be no validation to what he'd said. And as we think about that, it's critical to everything that he said and why it matters to us today. God validated, he authenticated, he vindicated all of those words. He confirmed Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior of all who would believe by raising him from the dead. God rose Jesus, his Son, our Savior, from the dead. He raised him up, just like Jesus said he would. Folks, don't just let that go in one ear and out the other. Man, I wish my mom was here today because she would say, Glenn, you did learn. <laughs> you didn't let it go in one ear and out the other. That was one of the favorite things she'd say. <laughs> Listen to me. It is also the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that gives significance to what Jesus said at the end of chapter 28 to his disciples, to his followers. And that means it's significant to you and I today as well. It is critical that when we read what we call the Great Commission or what we label the mission of the church, that we understand that it is significant beyond belief because the resurrected Jesus said it. And it's too easy for us just to go right by the resurrection. Take it for granted. No, oh yeah, we give assent to it, but mm, okay, yeah, that was a really cool thing that Jesus did for us. But it's more than that. It validates everything that we read in the Bible. And it's critical that we gra grab hold of that, And so he told the 11 his last words on earth before he rose or before he ascended back to heaven. He shared this with his disciples, with his followers, and he's sharing it with you and I. He spelled out his mission, the mission of the church, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But let's now pick up the account as we get back to verse 16 here of Matthew chapter 28. So uh, back in verse 10, Jesus said to the, the women, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they'll see me. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, and you know why it's 11 and not 12, right? Yep. Jesus hung, Judas hung himself, you know, took his own life. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, right? Back verse 10, that's where they were supposed to go. There already seems to have been a predetermined spot where Jesus would meet the followers, his followers in Galilee. So they went to Galilee 
to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, there's all kinds of speculation about what mountain that is, folks. It doesn't matter. We don't know. It doesn't say. We can guess all we want. It doesn't matter. A mountain in Galilee, probably an area where the disciples regularly met with Jesus, where maybe some of the crowds met with Jesus. We don't know. It doesn't matter. Jesus met them there. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Wow, some doubted. Now we could go into trying to figure out who, how, how could that be? They saw him. Um, this isn't the first time that the 11 had seen him. They saw him the night of the resurrection, that first Sunday night, right? Then they, without Thomas, they saw him a week later with Thomas. And uh, we're told elsewhere, we'll look at that in just a minute in the book of Acts, that, that Jesus had appeared to, First Corinthians, to, to the disciples. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus had appeared to various of these. So this is not the first time that at least that the 11 had seen Jesus. So what, why could there be doubt? Well, some would say, well, it had to be more than just the 11 that are there. And that's why when it says, go tell my brothers in verse 10, some would say, see, he differentiated between the disciples and brothers. Some believe that when Paul talked about the 500 witnesses in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, that maybe there were these 500, this is where that happened. Some feel like maybe the 120 that were gathered in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, praying after Jesus had resurrected and, and, and then ascended, that maybe that's the others, and some of them doubted. Was it really that they disbelieved? No. A lot had gone on. Remember what the disciples, I mean, the 11 I mean, they themselves struggled with they They weren't sure what happened on Easter Sunday morning until they got to see Jesus later that evening and the empty tomb. So there was some, what's going on? There was some, mis, not misunderstanding, they just didn't know. So maybe more of a hesitation, not a doubt as it appears to be like an unbelief. And so as we read that, uh, some doubted. Then, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority is given, or all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen, what Jesus told those first century disciples is exactly what we, as 21st century disciples, the church today, are to be doing right now. So what he tells the disciples, we'll get to that in just a minute, speaks to us too. And just as the disciples needed to pay attention because that would be the purpose of the church, and I'll show you how it all connects in Acts chapter 2 as we look at that. It's critical that we grab it today. So as we look at that, the disciples had seen Jesus, the resurrection, a couple of times. But here's what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the authority. God the Father has given Jesus the authority. And therefore, that's what we read as we jump down to verse 19. As a result of the resurrection... God gave Jesus 
all authority in heaven and on earth. People and events in this world that seem crazy, that seem wildly out of control, are actually under the absolute control and complete providential authority of Jesus. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. I don't mean that it doesn't matter in its way its effects, but listen, we can look at all of the negative stuff that's happening, all of the, the, the nastiness and evil in our world today, and try to figure it out. We can't change that, folks. God's in charge. Jesus has all authority. God gave. Why? Because he rose from the dead. And therefore, all authority has been given to him. And so now, because Jesus has sovereign control and authority over everything, verse 19, therefore. Now, he's saying to the 11 and to all who else may be there listening, he says, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because I have all authority, because it's been given to me, because Jesus rose from the dead, he's got that authority, he says, therefore, you go. You go. You go and make disciples of all nations. Now, as we look at the, these couple of these two verses, verses 19 and 20, their mission is to go make disciples. That's it. I, I, I hope for most of you that are here today, this is not the first time you've heard that. Now, if you're new or visiting, you, that may be the first time you've heard it. And, and I understand, but if you've been around Heritage for a while, you understand that we believe this is for us. Scripture says this. There really is one main command, one main imperative, one main verb in these two verses. And it's discipleize, make disciples. But it's, and then there are three participles. Now, I'm not an English teacher. In fact, man, I didn't ever really like English. I, I just didn't. But I had to learn it to learn Greek, Right? And, uh, and if you're going to understand scripture, you've got to know some grammar. But a participle is, it can be an adjective, but it's, it, it actually, what a participle is, it participates in the action of the verb. So there's one main verb, make disciples. And then there's three participles. There's go, there's baptizing, and then there's teaching to obey. Now, that, that's what's going on. And, and the main idea is to make disciples. But the participle go is connected in a unique way there with the make disciples. The idea is you can't make disciples if you're not going. And by going, he's not talking about just if you happen to step out of your house and walk down to the mailbox and the post office guy stops there early in the morning delivering a package and you bump into him unexpectedly and you you think you man you give him a gospel track or you give him a bible or you maybe you have a gospel conversation that's not what Jesus is talking about first and foremost he's saying there's an intentionality in our going 
just like there must be an intentionality in our making disciples. If we are not committed to make disciples of all nations, that's everybody, folks. There's, there's no group left out of that. There's no people group. There's no race. There's no gender. There, that's every human being. And Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. But you've got to go. And it used to be that Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 were, as I said earlier, missionary conference verses. We thought that these verses were only applicable to missionaries. And that if you were going to become a missionary, you needed to obey this. If you felt God wanted you to be a missionary, and maybe you didn't think it, but maybe God wanted you to, so here you got to go. But folks, I'm here to tell you this morning that when Jesus says, go make disciples, he's not just talking to future missionaries or pastors. He's talking to everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. Everyone. Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good at that. I'm, I'm, I'm just not real outspoken or I'm a little shy. I, I'm not an extrovert or I don't have the gift of evangelism. Doesn't matter. Jesus says to every single one of us who knows Christ is Savior, you go and make disciples. And you can't make disciples if we don't go. Disciple all nations. And that's got to be an intentional thing for us. Can't be just, it's not the great option. It's for all of us. Because of the connection here of that go, it's like what Jesus said to the first disciples he called back in Matthew chapter 4. Listen, you come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You will go and fish for people. That's where the going started. And that's what God's called us to do. People without Jesus. Now, the remaining participles, as we look at this, baptizing and teaching to obey, um, are how the disciples were to make disciples, how you and I are to make disciples. We go, that's part of the command of the making. We go, and then we baptize. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. Only pastors baptize. Well, show me that in the Bible. That's, that's just not there. It's typical, and that's not a bad thing. But he's saying to everybody, he's saying to all people, all disciples, all followers of Jesus, you go and make disciples and then baptize them. He doesn't say, and then take them to your church and have your pastor baptize them. Now, later on, we could talk about that's not where we're going this morning. I think the baptism is connected to the local church. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So that's the place, but it doesn't say that the pastor has to be doing the baptism. Wouldn't you love to be in that tank 
with somebody who you had the opportunity to reach for Jesus and you have the privilege and the opportunity of baptizing that new follower of Jesus, huh? Would that not be cool? That's why we do that. When we give people the option. Years ago, I got to baptize as, my, as a dad. I could baptize kids. I mean, that, and, and we've done that here. It may be that you had a significant involvement in somebody's life and they came to Christ and you get to baptize them. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. And the significance is it's an identification with Jesus Christ and his death his burial, and his resurrection. He says also, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Sometimes we tend to stop with that first part of simple teaching. We just go there. And so we say, and we got to teach everybody. Well, teaching is critical. But there's more to it. That's why we think that it's really great for us to go to Bible studies all over the place. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I'm saying to you is the Bible study in and of itself is not all that we are to do as part of this great commission. It's part of the mission of the church. It's teach to obey. That's what James says in chapter 1 when he says, do not just hear the word, do what it says. You can hear the word till you're blue in the face. You can go to a Bible study every night and every morning of every day of the week. If you don't do what it says, it doesn't matter. What's the difference of people who don't go to Bible studies? If we go and don't do it, there's no difference than those who go and do nothing. I say that right? If we go... And don't do it. We may as well not go. There's no difference between those who don't go. There, now I said it. You understand what I'm saying? That's what Jesus said when he says, don't just teach them, teach them to obey. And you've heard, well, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Anybody hear that? Yep. All right. Hey, how many of you have heard of old Mother Hubbard? <laughs> All right. I, I was sitting in a meeting with a couple of young guys. I won't tell you who they are. <laughs> and I said something about old Mother Hubbard's cupboard. And they both looked at me like, who? I said, wait a minute. You haven't heard of old Mother Hubbard? No. Okay, some of you have. It's, it's a generational thing, right? Yeah. But as we talk about this, this is not a generational thing. We need to teach to obey. And so it's the way we teach the truth. We don't just give knowledge. We just don't give content. God's word is never just about information. It's always about life transformation. And we need to follow up as we're teaching people to obey the importance of doing what God's word says. And helping people follow through and accountability and all the rest of that comes involved there. 
Disciples must not just understand what Jesus has commanded. As foundational as that is, one writer said they must also obey it. Critical. The new mission was all to begin on a day, not many days from when Jesus was giving the disciples this mission on the mountainside in Galilee, and there was a day coming. And, and, and I want you to see this because I want you to uh, look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Because there in Luke 24, we see the same thing happening. I think it happens at a different time. We tend to think that the Great Commission was only given once. I, I think it was given a couple of three times maybe. You know, they say that in an area here two or three times, right? Right. Anyway, here we go. So look at Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Now, if you went back and followed through, this is resurrection day. And um, so the disciples were gathered in a room. Verse 36 says, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. This is resurrection night. First day. And then we get to verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. See, this wasn't just a New Testament thing. Jesus says, I told you about this. The law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus is teaching his disciples again. Wow. He never stops. And he says, this is what the scripture says. He says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Um, Beginning at Jerusalem, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Remember, he's talking to the 11. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, we know because we can look ahead. We know he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But here's what he's saying. I'm going to send you your witnesses of these things. What things? What he just said. The death, his burial, and his resurrection. Your witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now jump ahead to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And there in Acts chapter 1. We read this, and understand, who wrote Acts? Luke, right? We just read Luke 24. Luke wrote that. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, as we call it. But he also wrote the book of Acts. And here we find verse 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In, in my what? My former book, what's that? Luke, the Gospel. He says about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Didn't he just say that in Luke 24? Yeah. He's repeating it here, rehashing it. For John baptized with water. A few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then we read in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying the power you need, I've, I've given you all authority. He told them in Luke 24, after again, he, he spoke the mission of the church, the Great Commission, but he said, you stay here in, in Jerusalem until you get the gift that he promised, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, because you need the power to follow through. You've been given authority, now you need the power to be able to do it. What's the power? The Holy Spirit. And he says, when you receive that power, you will receive that power, and you will be witnesses for me. You will tell what you've seen and heard. That's not hard. If you know Jesus, you know why you know Jesus. You tell what's happened to you. You tell what you saw. You tell what you heard. You tell what God did in your life. Why you're being a witness. Listen, folks, you do not have to have every answer to every difficult, unanswerable question in the world today to tell somebody about Jesus. The disciples, followers of Jesus didn't. They just told what they knew, what they'd seen. And so look ahead to chapter 2, verse 1 of the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Holy Spirit came on the believers. The church began right here in Acts chapter 2. And what happens? Peter starts to preach down in verse 14. He stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And he gave the gospel. When you look down later on in chapter 2, and we find out that we're told those who accepted, verse 41, his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people got saved, became part of the church. Why? Because Peter and the 11, Peter and the 10, told what they'd seen. Peter preached the gospel. He told them what had happened. He told them what they'd been witnesses of, what they had seen, what they had heard. Jesus had rehearsed that for them, taught them those three years while they were following him on earth. He gave them the gospel. That's their mission statement. Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. You will receive power, he told them here in Acts 1.8. And when you do, you go be a witness. You tell what you've seen and heard. That's our responsibility. Fish for people. 
multiply followers of Jesus. Reproduce yourself as a believer in somebody else's life in order to follow, to help people become more like Jesus. That's making disciples. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want you to think I'm way, way off and wacky and got hit in the head sometime last night and I forgot every because I, I, I want to say this. Jesus didn't tell the disciples to go evangelize. He said, what? He said, go make disciples. Now, evangelism is part of that. Yes, I know we know that, right? But they were to go tell what they'd seen and heard, and when people respond, baptize them and teach them to obey. Reproduce yourself in the lives of others. That's the Great Commission. Heritage Baptist Church exists to make more people more like Jesus. So as we wrap this up, let me ask you this. How are you involved in the mission of the church? The mission that Jesus gave to all of us who, who know him. All of us who have put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. How are you involved in the mission of the church? How are you engaged in the process of making disciples? You've got to answer that question. Because we all have to be. It's a command for all of us. Nobody who knows Jesus is left out. How are you making more people more like Jesus? How are you going? If it says go and make disciples, we make disciples by going. How are you going? How are you doing that? What's the intentional part of your going? How are you reaching out to people who don't know Jesus? Do you know people who don't know Jesus? I want to ask for a raise of hands. I'm sure, I'm sure most of you do. Sure, all of you do, I'm sure. I'm sure you have relatives who don't know Jesus. I would think that in a group this size, there's probably many of you have really, really, really good friends who don't know Jesus. Have you talked to them? Have you gone to them? Have you reached out to them? How are you going? What are you doing to baptize? You say, well, I, well, you can't get there until you do the going, right? Amen. And then as God allows you to share Christ, tell what you've seen and heard, and you have the opportunity to see people come to Christ, wow. That would be a thrill to my heart to stand in that baptistry tank with you as you baptize this friend of yours who came to Christ. Woohoo, man, huh? How about... How are you teaching others to obey? You may say, oh, I don't know. I, I've never been to Bible college. I've not been to seminary. I, 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 don't, I, I go to a Bible study once in a while, and, but I, I, don't, I can't teach. Okay, you may not be able to lead a Bible study like we have coming up the second hour of 
Heritage Institute and stand up in an organized fashion and, and teach sections of the Word of God or teach about discipleship or, or whatever it may be. You may not have that ability, but you can teach what you know. I don't know if you're still in Acts chapter 4 or not, uh, you, or, or at the beginning of Acts, but if you'll move on down to ver- chapter 4 and verse 13, we're in chapter 2. Chapter 4 and verse 12, actually, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. Peter and John said that. Peter actually said that. He'd been, they'd been arrested, he and John, for healing a lame man. And they were questioning him, and Jesus said that, Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else than Jesus Christ. Then, look at this, verse 13, Acts 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, these are the religious leaders of the day. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors, but Peter and John, right, were fishermen. When they saw them, when they noticed them, it says they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They didn't have any formal training. They hadn't been to the rabbinical schools. They, 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 they weren't in a place where they were fishermen, where they could have sat at the feet of all kinds of different rabbis and and learned from them. They were fishermen, but what happened? They had been with Jesus. Now, I know that's a physical presence there. And you say, well, physically, Jesus, I, I can't be next. No, but we, when we trust him, when we believe him, when we receive him as our savior, he is in us and we have his word and we can be with Jesus because he's with us. And if these guys can so impress the religious leaders of the day with how they live and what they do and what they say and how they act, so can any of us in this auditorium today. We can tell people what we have seen and heard. So look down to verse 18 of this same chapter. They kind of went into executive session, the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin here, and they come back out, verse 18 of Acts 4. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. He said, you can't do it. You can't do this anymore. And look at the response. Look at Peter, verse 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. And here's what they said they will continue to do. This is what they'd been doing. This is how people were coming to Christ. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. If you know Jesus, you've seen and heard a lot of truth right here. You've heard it from whoever told you about the gospel, who taught it to you and said you need to believe, you need to receive Jesus. And if you've heard it, you believed it, you can do the same to others. That's what Peter says. Hey, we're not stopping. We're going to tell what we've seen and heard, period. That's it. How about that? That's why we're here as a church, folks. Every one of us has been given 
the charge, the command to make disciples of all nations. Father, thank you for Jesus. Oh God, we need not just to hear the word, but to do it. We need to fulfill the purpose of the church, this gathering of your people who know you. Help us, God, to be obedient, to go, to baptize, to teach, to obey. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.